0: Uh, Let's uh, continue our Through the Bible study. We're in Luke's Gospels. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. We're in Luke chapter 23. I'd like to show you just a little section of Luke 23 this morning as uh, we prepare for our Wednesday night, you know, just continuing on. But verses one through 26 deal with um, an interesting character in history, uh, a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate as it relates to the trial of Jesus. On Wednesday night, we started with you know Jesus being apprehended in the garden, and he ends up at Caiaphas's house, the high priest. Which when when we say Caiaphas' house, don't picture like a, a you know a house in Tualatin or something. This is like a palace kind of thing uh, there in Jerusalem. You can go visit Caiaphas's house uh, in Jerusalem today. Uh, they the, you know they, they believe they know where that is archaeologically and kind of interesting, but. Um, but Pontius Pilate, you know, they went from the kind of the religious trial at Caiaphas's house. Now they're gonna go and make their political case against Jesus, which they have to do. The Jews don't have power and authority to to execute capital punishment on a criminal. And so they have to go through the Romans. So you're gonna see kind of a, 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 a the Jews making their political argument um, uh, as, as as it goes down in this story. But one of the things we see here is a guy who uh, is a perfect example of what the Lord does not want us to be. Um, Are you uh, someone who struggles um, making decisions? You know, um, if you are, there there could be any number of reasons. Um, uh, I think there's some reasons that are kind of hard to avoid. I I mean, some of you, I know, uh, you have the paralysis of analysis where you just kind of overthink things and it's hard to make a decision. Uh, it's amazing how a decision in life, and and you you kind of see the gravity of decision. And I I think I understand that one. I tend to be a little more on that side of uh, making decisions. Um, I think it's because you know that one decision in life can really derail you. Um, you know, I'm reminded of someone who once pointed out on the Rocky Mountains that range. There's a uh, there's a ridge on the Rocky Mountains. It's kind of interesting. It's like a razor sharp ridge. Um, and you know, uh, on the on the west side, you know, the slope goes down on the east side. But um, they were talking about how you know raindrops could be just a half inch apart, two raindrops falling from the sky, half inch apart. But if it lands in the right place, one drop will go on one side of the razor's edge of the Rocky Mountains, and the other drop goes on the other side. And uh, what's the difference, just a half inch? But that one drop ends up in the Pacific Ocean, and the other drop ends up in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, just because of the half inch between. See, it's stuff like that that makes me kind of locked up. I don't want to make a decision because you could end up way over in the wrong place. Uh, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when you're an 18-year-old kid, I want to marry that person. And you're like, uh, oh, it's just, a, it's, it's, we're so, I love him. I love him. Half inch right there. Um, but you could end up in the Pacific, and he could end up in the Gulf of Mexico, or vice versa. You know, like if, if you don't make the right choice, it can really be a problem. So you know, sometimes decisions are tough. But but here's where it's um, it's it's kind of uh, bad to do is to be kind of the wavering, what I would call the double-minded man or the double-minded woman. I wouldn't call it that. Actually, um, we we read that in the in the scriptures. Let me read to you from James before we get here. And um, in um, you know Luke, but in James chapter one, uh, verse five, it says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God that give to all men liberally." Isn't that great that God wants to liberally give you wisdom? Um, but it says, "Let him you know or her you know ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed." For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, A double-minded man or woman, I would add there, uh, is unstable in all their ways and double-mindedness. This is an example of the person we're not supposed to be as Christians. The Lord wants us to be... You know, zeroed in, decisive. I think being a person who's decisive is kind of an important part of um, you know putting our trust in the Lord and and seeking the Lord and understanding if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened. Jesus said, "Let your yes be yes and your no be no." This idea of wavering, waffling, flipping and flopping is something that I think the Lord would rather us not do, according to Scripture. Double-minded men. Now, one of the worst things that makes a person double-minded is when they are listening to the, all the voices. You know, when James talks about this, the person is you know tossed, they're tossed by the wind and the waves. What are the wind and the waves? Those outside influences that toss a person around. Are you, are you tossed around by public opinion? What's the latest trend talking in the social media world? or what what the famous people or celebrities are talking about, um, and people get tossed and they don't have any real conviction. They're just kind of being tossed by the waves and the wind. That's the situation in our story here with Pontius Pilate. He's the guy that's gonna be tossed uh, in his decision-making process. And he's gonna make kind of one of the worst decisions ever made in humanity's history. Um, uh, And we're gonna see that as kind of an example. It's right here in Luke 23. Um, and let's pick it up here in verse 1. Luke 23, verse 1. It says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. The multitude are those that were the religious leaders. They, they you know, you understand all night Jesus has been tried in the religious Caiaphas' house. And they were making the religious argument, but now they move from the Caiaphas' house to Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman governor of the region. Who is this mysterious guy Pontius Pilate? I, I love this character for a, a bunch of reasons uh, that it raises all kinds of interesting historical questions. One, one thing that was kind of fun about Pontius Pilate as you that love the Bible and know it's true, For a long time, uh, for you know, uh, quite a quite a lot of years, uh, so-called, you know, I call them pipe puffing cardigan sweater wearing professors. They were they were sitting around saying Pontius Pilate is a figment of the Bible's imagination. There was no such character uh, in the Judean area that was ever a governor of Israel, and they said that for for a long long time. and even though, you know, ancient works like Josephus talked about a Pontius Pilate, it's in the Bible, but they would just deny that. But um, one of the great finds, uh, you can go see it in the Israel Museum today in Jerusalem, they found a stone when they were archeologically digging in Caesarea Maritima, where they found the, the stone that, that solely wrote out Pontius Pilate's name and his position and title and all this stuff. And it was like proof positive that the Bible once again is always right. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's such a um, you know, funny thing, the rocks are crying out as I always say in archeological digs that the Bible is true and that Jesus is true. But um, as it turns out, Pontius Pilate came into power in Judea um, and um, a lot of uh, you know, those that write about this and, and there's, there's some extra biblical literature you can read about Pontius Pilate that's kind of interesting, Eusebius, Josephus and some others. But um, they believe that he was sent to Judea probably because he did something wrong you know, like, like, you know, uh, in the joke of, you know, when, when uh, you know, somebody, some military guy makes a mistake and they say, oh, he's going to have, be stationed in Siberia. Well, that's what happened to Pontius Pilate. He was probably in Rome trying to go up the power ladder and he probably did something really stupid and said, okay, you got, you got to be the governor of Judea. Because like, that's the, the thing you don't want to do. But he ends up there. And he also ends up there uh, at a time where there's great conflict. You know, the, the Jews have been under the iron fist of the Roman Empire for a lot of years now. By the time Jesus is there, um, and there was there was uh, turmoil, uprisings, insurgents, uh, you know, uh, you know, sedition, all these kinds of things. Um, and so, so Pontius was going into kind of a, a, a tough situation. So he he. he, he approaches the whole thing all wrong. History tells us he came into Jerusalem and he he wanted to show a show of power. I talked about this a few uh, months ago, but um, so I'll just kind of give you a quick version of this, but um, he made, Several mistakes. The first thing he did is he came into Jerusalem, uh, you know, with his horses and the Roman standards. You know, the old movies where the Romans march into town, dun, da da. here comes Pontius Pilate and his soldiers and their little red fin thin things on their helmets. And their, but the, here's the thing that was really wrong. Their big standards with their flags and on the top of the standards were golden images of eagles and stuff like that. Question, do the Jews like having golden images on their temple mount? Is that a good idea? Like if you're trying to come in, um, you know, he wanted to show force, but he wasn't wanting to cause a riot. Well, that's what he did. The Jews freaked out when Pontius Pilate shows up into town. And so Pontius is like, if these guys cause trouble, just kill them. Well, the Jews heard that and they all, all the old men of Israel came and laid their necks on the ground and said, chop our heads off, kill us. You know, like, what do you do with that? Like the first day on the job is not, a slaughter of the Jews was not really the plan. So Pontius Pilate kind of goes, oh, sorry. And he kind of backs off and goes back into his little, you know, praetorium or wherever he went. Um, and kind of, it was, his show of force was a, kind of backfired on him. Strike one. Well, um, later in his ruling of Judea, he thought, I'm gonna try to win the Jews over in their favor by bringing aqueducts into this region. And he built all the, you know, the Romans were famous. Their engineering was amazing on aqu- Some of the aqueducts in the Roman from 2000 years ago still have water flowing through them to this day. It's kind of an amazing thing. So Pilate says, I'm going to bring water to these dry desert Judean areas. And he built an aqueduct and was trying to gain favor with the Jews. The only problem, does anybody remember, where did he get the money for the aqueducts? Temple treasury. He stole from the temple treasury. Um, so strike two, the Jews really hate Pontius Pilate. He's, and, and the Jews are you know, just causing all kinds of trouble. Well, now enter Luke chapter 23. We've got you know Pontius Pilate dealing with his next big problem. There's a guy... According to these multitude Jews that are bringing him here in verse one, um, they bring this guy who's claiming to be king of the Jews. Um, And and we'll see that. In fact, look at verse two. Uh, You know, so the whole multitude, they bring Jesus before Pilate, verse two, and they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, What's interesting about this is uh, all these things they just said was, were totally untrue. Uh, you say, well, one of them's true, bro. Well, which one? Well, was Jesus truly going around perverting the nation? That's ridiculous, Jesus was going around raising the dead, turning water into wine, healing the sick lepers, and uh, you know, um, walking on water, like he was doing amazing things, but, but perverting the nation, no. Um, Then they said, uh, second accusation, um, he said to forbidding people to give taxes or tribute to Caesar. Is that what Jesus said? Well, if you remember, just even a few weeks ago, we were studying what Jesus said. He said, man, whose picture's on the coin? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Brilliant answer, by the way, because they were trying to trip trip Jesus up with a trick question uh, in that whole thing. But Jesus answered perfectly. But uh, both saying, you know, um, it's not really about that, but if, if Caesar's, give it to him. So he actually never said, don't pay taxes, but they made that up. And they also were kind of implying, he said, you don't pay cat taxes to Caesar because he's actually the king. Um, there is something that's interesting here. Notice, um, you gotta get these specific words. They said that he himself is Christ a king. Did Jesus, so you might say, well, but that's the one he really did claim to be. Um, was Jesus claiming to be Christ a king? No, no. what was he claiming? Yeah, there's a difference. He said, I am Christ, the king. You say, Brett, that's a little, you know, potato, potato. Come on, no big deal. It is a big deal. I'll tell you why. Um, when, when you say Christ here, that's not Jesus's last name, Jesus Christ, Mr. Christ. That's not it. <laughs> the word Christ is, um, is, is the word, it, it's basically Christos, which means he's the Messiah. And the word Messiah is the word king. And I think we English speaking people, we kind of think, oh, the Messiah, and we hear angels sing, which we should. It's a big deal, the Messiah. But in Hebrew language, a Messiah just means king. Did you know that King Saul was a Messiah? King David was a Messiah? King Manasseh was a Messiah? That's the word they used for that. But in biblical prophecy of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, the prophet said, yeah, these are Messiahs, kings, but there's coming the Messiah. There was a, a Messiah that was coming that was not just any old King, but the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's the prophecy. That's who Jesus was claiming to be. He wasn't claiming to be a King. He was claiming to be the King. That's kind of an important thing to understand. So they're, they're just twisting the words here. And there are three little charges against Jesus um, were really ridiculous. Perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute, tribute to Caesar. All oh, of that's false and then saying that he himself is Christ, uh, a king. No, he was the king. Um, So Pontius Pilate hears all this, these three accusations, and turns and looks at Jesus, and look at verse three. And Pilate asked him, saying, art thou the king of the Jews? Interesting, Pilate gets that part right. Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, thou sayest it. Now, we might miss in the, you know, from the King James here or the English translation, we might miss like Jesus is like, you said it, dude. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> that's not what he's saying. Uh, when he says, thou sayest it, it's, it's really the equivalent. If you look at um, like the original text, he's saying, Pilate, what you just said, that's true, that I am the king. He's, he's not being flippant or, you know, um, you know kind of, uh, you know, sarcastic. He, Jesus is being very specific. yes. Um, Are you king of the Jews? And he's saying, that's what you just said is true. I am the king of the Jews. Um, Then Pilate, verse four uh, said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. (laughs) How do you think Pontius Pilate knew to say this? Because would you agree that um, Pontius Pilate, of all the things he did and said in his life, this is probably the truest thing he ever said. I find no fault in this guy. Um, and you and I know retrospectively, if you could ever say that of anybody, that is uh, not true of anybody, except for Jesus Christ. All of us have faults, lots of them, but Jesus had no faults. He was perfect, the, the spotless lamb of God. And so here's, here's Pontius Pilate just looking at him. Where do you think he got that idea? When he just looks at Jesus, hears their arguments and their accusations, he looks at him and says, I don't find any fault in this guy. Um, I, I believe there's only really one place where he could have come up with that because you know I I'm I'm the kind of, if this guy's a, a leader you know and, and um, he got into power he's probably not the stupid guy um, and and he's you know he's got enough to know you know enough to be the the, the leader of the whole Judean area so where does he get this I, I believe this is what the Lord gives us called discernment. Maybe you could call it um, your conscience. Just in your conscience, you know. Um, When I was a children's pastor, I used to teach kids, God gave you a knower. What's your knower? You have a knower in your noggin. What's a knower in your noggin? It's your conscience. Just like my chickens have a knower. Uh, Deb and I have some chickens and, uh, you know, they're little egg laying hens. And, um, you know, we built a little chicken coop and um, it's amazing how chickens aren't the brightest animal in the world. I'm just gonna say that. but they know, they know stuff. How do the chickens know stuff? Like, you know, I built this little, this little you know, you know, stair step thing that goes up into the hen house and then, and then the hen house has these little roost bars and, and then next to it are these three little egg hutches that I built in there. Um, and, you know, and, um, and it's amazing. The hens know exactly what time to go into the hen house. And they know right when to go and roost on the roost bars. And they all kind of line up there at nighttime and cuddle up and get all warm. And then when it comes time to eggs, they go into the egg hutch and they drop their little eggs in the egg hutch. Who taught them that? Um, why don't just lay your eggs anywhere? Uh, you know, why don't go to sleep outside on the ground or something? Chickens just know they have a knower, and I believe that's—you know—we we call that instinct uh, that animals have instinct. But I think it's just part of God's amazing creation. But compared to animals, you and I have been given a knower that's even more amazing than you know uh, chickens. Not much better, but—but um, <laughs> but it is—it's better. Uh, people are better than animals, according to the Bible. Um, but he has given us a conscience to know what is right and wrong. And, and here, uh, I think this is what uh, you know, Pontius Pilate is, is using his knower, his conscience, saying, You guys are all yelling accusation to him. I think all, you guys all seem wacko to me. But this guy's standing here all calm, and, and uh, he seems like he's of his right mind, and I find no fault in him. I think he knows in his knower, in his conscience, what's right. Now that's going to come into play because um, I think think this is part of the problem. When you're a double-minded man, often you know what you should do, but there's reasons you're unwilling to do it. And we're going to see that here. In fact, let's break this little chapter down into some, some observations about Pontius Pilate. The first thing I want to show you is Pontius Pilate affirming. This is interesting. The first thing we see him doing in the story is affirming that Jesus is innocent. And he says, I find no fault in this man. And so I got to give Pontius Pilate sort of a, some credit here for, for the first part of this story. Um, you know, what does he, the, the question is what does he do with the knowledge that he has? Jesus, I find no fault in this man. So what is he going to do with that? And that's where, um, that's where he starts to break down in his little uh, um, you know, practice here as the leader of Judea. Um, he goes from you know affirming Jesus' innocence to number two, we see Pilate then deferring um, uh, his responsibilities to, to make a decision. He doesn't wanna make a decision here. Um, you'll see that <clears throat> as we pick it up there in verse, um, verse five. It says in verse five, and they were the more fierce, the people, saying, he stirreth up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place, that's Jerusalem, And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. Now what we have here is your classic government official. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Uh, you need to take this to a different department, Uh, take this complaint over to the other department. Uh, This is out of my jurisdiction, (laughs) pass the buck. Now, if you're a government agent, uh, I would I should probably say I'm sorry, but I'm, i' I'll actually say repent. <laughs> <clears throat> Why is it that you know government does this? It's like, you know, people are just trying to you know build a shed in the backyard, and they, they, you know, Athe Creek to build this building here, if you only knew, if you guys only knew, like the stuff, it was it's just so funny to watch government agencies. Um, when I remember when we first bought this property years ago, uh, the old farmer that had it, Mr. Niemeyer, he was a great old guy. Uh, and we, we were, he and I were standing out here and he was showing me how back in 1951 or whatever it was, he, he built this pond. You know the circle driveway that's right out here where people drop off? There was this beautiful pond, beautiful. And it had these massive trees that he'd planted years and years earlier, but giant beautiful trees around this pond. And it was just kind of like, almost like a postcard. Well, I, I was thinking, oh, this will be great. We'll have a little pond right out here. And people will drive in. It'll look beautiful. Well, when we, when we did, the, you know, permits and all that, well, the, the county sends all their agencies and all their government officials. And I forget the exact, but I remember the Army Corps of Engineers had to come out and see this, you know, the water situation out here. And they saw that pond and they said, this pond has to go. This is not a normal, this, isn't, this wasn't here. Um, yeah, it's been here 80 years, but uh, um, almost, you know. But yeah, they, they said, this has got to go. Well, then, then we had another government agency come and I think it was the water table people, you know, they came and said, you can't touch this pond. If you touch this, you know, you'll have jail time like this, 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 don't do this. So we got, we got two agencies saying, don't touch this pond. And another agency, if you touch it, you're going to jail. Um, so what are you going to do? Uh, that, that's the problem if you're a government worker that's what we deal with all the time uh, that kind of craziness and that only happened like 500 other times in our building project here where their agencies you know they didn't agree and they, their science and all that stuff that they were doing um, you know the water this, the reason we can't park cars out here uh, in this little grassy triangle have you ever wondered why we didn't park parking lot? because there's steelhead swimming through this field um, you should have brought your fishing pole to church why are you talking about this? Oh, yeah, government officials. Anyway, <laughs> um, you, know, you know what's funny about that is the, the, the whole thing of passing the buck, that's what Pontius Pilate's doing. Um, are you a person that likes to not take responsibility and, and pass it on and make somebody else make a decision? Um, that's not really part of the thing. That's part of that double-minded man, unstable in all their ways. You know, the greatest leaders in history um, tend to be people who were decisive, They made decisions now good, bad or ugly, um, but they were willing to make a decision. Uh, I think that's part of a a character that is good. You, You never see Jesus wavering or waffling or passing the buck. Um, that's something that a great leader will do is, is own stuff, extreme ownership. I think a book's been written by that. that got really popular because it sort of resonated among people reading it because it's it's kind of linked, it, it, whether the author knew it or not, it's, it's kind of linked to a kind of a Christ-like characteristic. Pontius Pilate, that's the problem with his leadership. He's a wavering, waffling, buck-passing dude. And he says, oh, you're from Galilee? That's not my jurisdiction. You need to go see Herod. Now we know, I'll tell you, we'll show this in a second. He hates Herod. He doesn't like Herod. They're not friends. Um, So he's like, oh, I'm I'm gonna put this little Jew king problem on Herod's plate. So he's gonna pass the buck. Well, verse eight. And when Herod... Saw, oh, by the way, you know, verse seven. Did you notice Herod just happens to be in Jerusalem at that time too? He's he's the leader of the Galilee region, but he's in. It's like what a coincidence! I'm sure Pilate's like, oh, Herod's here in town. I guess let's go up just give it to him, you know, kind of thing. Verse eight. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Oh, a magic trick. I get to meet the magician from Galilee. Like this is Herod's mindset. What a weirdo. Um, this this leader, obviously, uh, you, we don't... If you know the Herods, all the different Herods, Agrippa, Herod, Antipas, Herod, Philippa, there's these Herods in the story, but, and we've done whole studies on all the different Herods, but you know, this Herod was not a great dude to say the least, but he hopes to see some miracle done by Jesus. Did you know that's, that's kind of a... Uh, a really shallow and weak sort of way to approach the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wanna see a magic trick by him. If he's the son of God, let's see him do something, you know, shiny and flashy. Um, And this is something that I harp on all the time. Question, do miracles ever produce real faith in people? The answer is no, 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 like never. Uh, You know, you think about it all through the Old Testament, you know, you think all the plagues of Egypt, you and Pharaoh, who is God? And Moses I'm gonna show you. And he shows with all the plagues and plague after plague, after plague, after plague. And then Pharaoh would find okay, okay, stop the plague. And so Moses said, Lord, no more plague. And it would go away. Like what more proof do you need? Uh, The Egyptians saw all, did they all become believers in God at that point from seeing God's miracles of the plagues? No, they all end up dying instead of believing. Um, you know, what about the prophets of Baal? When, when, when Elijah the prophet, you know, just, you know, they, they shrieked for a whole day and cut, cut their arms with blood gushing out, trying to get Baal to bring fire from heaven. Finally, Elijah, his turn, and he prays for like 10 seconds and then fire comes from heaven. You think all the prophets, okay, he, Jehovah is Lord, he's the true and living God. Do you think they, they believed because of the fire from heaven? The miracle? Not one of them believed. In fact, they ended up being slaughtered that day instead of believing in the true and living God. Um, what about the Jews even? You know, here's God's chosen people. And, you know, they're like, oh, God's brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And then the the, the parting of the Red Sea. That's a pretty good magic trick, wouldn't you say? Um, they walk through the Red Sea and then they get to the safe to the other side and then the Roman, or, pardon me, the Egyptians follow and they, they, they drown. The water closes up over them. What, what greater miracle could you come up with to make people believe? But did the Jews believe from that day forward in the true and living God? Like, 10 minutes later, they're whining again about how God doesn't care and is not gonna help them. And like miracles never produce faith. Even in the New Testament, does anybody remember what town did Jesus do the most miracles? Galilee is the area, what was the town? Capernaum, Capernaum. Jesus said, you know, I've done more miracles here than any other place. And yet you have not believed. So it's gonna be, it's better for even Sodom and Gomorrah than for you, Capernaum. And then Jesus cursed the town of Capernaum because they did not believe even though he did all the miracles there. So I just wanna say, be careful. Um, Now you say, bro, what does that have to do with me? Well, here's the thing you have to be careful. Or Have you met people that have this mindset? Um, It maybe doesn't look as um, ugly as what I just described. You might even see something that's kind of heartbreaking. And I say this with compassion you know, but like, have you ever had somebody who said, you know, my grandfather was sick and we prayed and we prayed for his healing and God didn't heal him and, and he died. Um, and because of that, I don't believe in God. Have you, ever, have you ever actually seen that? I've seen that way too many times in my years of ministry. Um, and, you know, as it turns out, uh, just because it didn't go their way, they sort of don't believe in, in Jesus or believe in God. This is, this is Herod's problem. Herod's going to look for a magic trick. And when he doesn't get one, um, he's going to say, yeah, whatever. And he's not only going to not believe, he's going to end up mocking and, uh, you know, uh, brutalizing Jesus himself. So, so be careful on this one. Don't be one of those people or try to encourage people that are looking for the miracle, um, but, but aren't getting it. You know, um, I prayed. Now it's easy for, you know, grandpa. I can make that case. He's 95. I can't believe God didn't him. No, he's 95. He lived a long, healthy life. That's great. Uh, so now he died. That's not the worst thing in the world, going to heaven. Um, but but what about a child that dies? Oh, how could this be good? How could this be, how could God allow this thing? And people, because they didn't get the miracle they wanted, they won't believe in God. That's so short-sighted. Um, God knows all things. By the way, um, you know, when we get, when, when all things are said and done, we're gonna see that um, there in Revelation 19, verse one and two, it talks about, you know, after these things, I heard a great voice and much people saying, Hallelujah! salvation and glory and honor to our our God um, for the righteous and true are his judgments. Everybody's gonna say at the end, even if the little kid who died is 10 years old, when we get to that, we'll say, the Lord knew what he was doing. It hurt hurt us, we didn't understand it. Uh, It was hard for us, but even a little 10 year old dying or something like that, that seems tragic to us, we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Don't be the person that says, I'm not gonna believe because that person didn't make it and I didn't get the miracle I was asking for. That's not the way. Um, well, some people say, well, Brett, if I, don't, if I pray and I don't get what I ask for, what good is God to me? Can we remember what God does for all of us? Um, you see, God is good for you because you and I, the natural flow is we're going to hell for all eternity. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, that you can go to heaven. So even though we may not understand all the reasons bad things happen in this world, um, and people say, well, what good is God to me? I don't get my little wish. He's he's not the genie that I thought he was. Um, Well, that's not God's role. God's not your genie. Um, God sent his savior to save you from your sins. Let's keep it all in perspective what God actually does do for you and for me. Um, So the little 10-year-old kid that dies, because of God's love, that kid goes to heaven and lives for eternity and glory. And that's something we can't even fathom. So we sort of shut that out. Um, All that to say, this is kind of a Herod mindset. If he shows me a trick, I'll believe, uh, but he won't even if he did. Uh, Jesus had already done miracles in the region of, of Herod's jurisdiction and all that. So, um, so what happens here? Well, um, you know, he said, "I'm gonna, I want to see some magic trick done by him." So, verse nine, it goes on. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. Uh, why did Jesus say nothing? I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one, to fulfill prophecy. Remember one of the prophets said he'd be like a dumb sheep going to the shearer, not speaking for himself. Uh, this is fulfilling that prophecy. But another reason I think is that Jesus knows Herod has no hope. He's not gonna believe no matter what happens. So Jesus isn't gonna waste his breath talking to this guy because Herod verse nine is talking to many words it says here, but Jesus doesn't give any words back. Is it that he doesn't care about Herod or does he sovereignly know Herod's not gonna believe, I'm not gonna waste my time. Um, Jesus does that well verse 10 the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him and Herod with his men of war the soldiers set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate we learned something about the robe they put on Jesus uh, one of the other gospels tells us what color it was does anybody remember that it was a purple robe, which you say, what, what does that matter? Purple was a, a color that really was royalty. If you, you wouldn't wear purple unless you were like a royal person. Um, and uh, where do you suppose you find a purple robe uh, in this situation? In Herod's closet. Do you understand that? You don't just have, and, and here in Luke's gospel, we read that it wasn't only purple, but it says here, uh, a gorgeous robe. Where did they get a, did they go down to Nordstrom and buy Jesus a, like a really nice, gorgeous robe? No, they weren't just laying around. This is something probably from Herod, you know, Herod's like, get the one that was gonna send a goodwill or whatever, a fancy purple one. Um, and that, now Jesus is wearing, why put a gorgeous robe on him? This is Herod mocking Jesus as king of the Jews. Oh, you think he's a king? Let's put a kingly robe on him. And let's put a crown of thorns, we learn in another uh, gospel as the as king, you know, and they were mocking him. And we know other pastors, they were punching him in the face. Um, this is where the, you know, the brutality really begins as Herod and his soldiers are mocking Jesus. Um, but they're mocking him as sort of the king of the Jews. They're, they're sort of you know, playing around with that. So um, all this to say, uh, you know, Herod mocks Jesus um, and so now Herod's gonna send Jesus back to Pontius Pilate and say, yeah, whatever, I'm not making this decision. Um, and we pick that up in verse 12, um, where it says, in the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Why does suddenly Pilate and Herod become friends? And why does the Bible even tell us that? Have you ever wondered that? Who cares if they're friends or not friends? Um, I think this is just showing us a bit of human nature. Um, and that is, uh, you know, the enemy of my enemy is, is my friend. Um, we've seen people come together in unity out of a common enemy that they want to destroy. And I think Pontius Pilate and Herod, their common enemy really is the Jews because they're having trouble keeping these pesky Jews who are yelling, you know, we wanna get rid of this guy. But they're like, we don't, we don't need the political turmoil. And so both Pontius and Herod, I think, are both in the same predicament that, man, we gotta deal with this because we sure don't want this getting back to Rome, that we don't know what we're doing down here in Judea. Um, so that, that's kind of the situation. So suddenly Herod and Pontius Pilate, they both find themselves in the same predicament. It's a little bit of a, like an a example. Um, you know, the, do the Sunni uh, Muslims and the Shiite Muslims tend to get along? Uh, bitter enemies, the Shiites and the Sunnis, if you know the geopolitics of the Middle East, But um, when do Sunnis and Shiites become best buddies? Anybody know? When they're fighting against Israel and when they're fighting against the United States. Um, They suddenly become buddy, buddy, buddy. Uh, They hate each other normally, but um, they're really tight in their hatred for other nations. Um, That's kind of a human nature thing. So that's what we're seeing. Pilate and Herod, they both find themselves kind of dealing with this thing. And Herod, like like. Um, Pilate is deferring now. So Pilate tries to pass the buck to Herod. Herod says, I'm not gonna be tricked by that. And so he sends Jesus back to Pontius Pilate. Um, So that's what's happening here in point three. Now, point three, we see Pilate now bargaining. He's gonna try to make a deal. Um, Look at verse 13. And Pilate, when he called, called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people said unto them, you have brought this man to me, as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accused him. By the way, three different times, uh, you know, Pontius Pilate says it over and over again, I find no fault in this man. But three different occasions, Jesus was really seen as no fault. Um, you can, uh, If you put all the gospel narratives together, Pontius Pilate said this, even Herod said, There's, I don't see anything wrong with him. And the third one, by the way, was the centurion at the cross, where he also said, I I see no fault in this guy. And he eventually would say, "Uh, surely this is the son of God. Um, So it's funny how even in these kangaroo courts, these goofy trials of Jesus, um, there were many admissions, no fault. I find no fault. So with that, Pontius Pilate, knowing in his conscience, there's nothing wrong with this guy. um, So he's going to try to make a deal with these guys. I find no fault in this guy. Um, as those things wherever you accuse him. Verse 15, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent him at you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death has come unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto, uh, unto them at the feast. Um, what's going on here, and what is releasing one? The, the Romans had some kind of tradition that during the Passover season, the feast, they would release one of the prisoners as sort of a gesture of goodwill. Um, you know, and so Pontius says, hey, I got a way to solve this. I'll chastise him. Does anybody know what the word chastise really means here? Whip Jesus. Um, this kind of starts to reveal the hypocrisy of Pilate when he says, I find no fault in him, but I'll whip him almost to death. Um, if you were whipped with a Roman flagellum is the word that they used, um, a cat of nine tails, some people might call it as a whip with little lead balls on the end of leather straps with pieces of glass embedded into the leather straps. It was a horrific um, whipping that would take place. People would die from being whipped with a flagellum. And so he's saying, I'll, I'll whip I'll whip this guy for you guys and then we're gonna let him go because this, this is the time we let somebody go. This will be great. I got a totally good plan Um I find no fault with him, but I'll whip him anyway. Again, this is, this is what a double-minded man starts to do. Things that are unjust and evil and wrong. That's where, This is where Pontius Pilate's really going wrong. Um, so there was a custom to release one. Um, but check it out. It says there um, in verse 18, and they cried out at, all at once, the people cried out all at once and said, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition, made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Um, So the the people are acknowledging, yeah, you're supposed to release a guy to us this time of year, but don't release Jesus, release Barabbas. Why would they want Barabbas? Well, Barabbas, uh, here's a word that I throw around that you guys hear all the time, was an insurrectionist. Oh, oh, yeah, that's really bad. Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's what he did. See, um, the Roman Empire, you know, they were in control of that region. The poor Jews had been, uh, you know, oppressed by the Romans for a long, long time. Barabbas was probably like one of the zealots who was, did an uprising against the Romans and probably killed a couple people. So he was probably on death row, is the idea. If, you, if, you, if you're a person who killed Romans or killed someone, you're probably going to die. But the people say, release to us Barabbas and keep Jesus and crucify him. That's what they're gonna say. Um, Now, this is an interesting irony. Uh, You know, a lot of people kind of read the Bible and they don't really do the deeper dive, but I think there's some interesting things about Barabbas. First of all, his name. Barabbas, it means son of the father. Um, You know that if you know your uh, Hebrew entomology, Bar Abba. Bar means son of. Abba is a band from the 80s. I mean, no, Uh, Abba uh, means father in Hebrew. So you got son of the father. That's what Barabbas means. Isn't that interesting? But it gets even more interesting. Um, If you ever, have you ever noticed like um, in Matthew 27, uh, the, the account of this verse 16 and 17, some of your translations say, the people say, give to us Jesus Barabbas. Now we're confused. Which one, give us Jesus or give us Barabbas? The answer is that was Barabbas's kind of name. You know how some guys in the Bible have sort of two names? Like, um, like you know, they called Peter Simon Peter, but before that he was called Simon what? Bar-Jonah, which means Bar, son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. So that's what they called him. Well, this guy had the same thing like Simon Bar-Jonah, except his name was Jesus Barabbas. Um, Jesus was a common name in Bible times. Now, if you're one of those people that just say, oh, that's the wrong way to say it, Pastor Brad. It's not not Jesus, it's Yeshua. Do you know people are like that? Can I just say, stop it? Um, (laughs) If you wanna call him Yeshua, you can, that's great. I understand why you do it, and that's great. But, you know, a lot of us grew up since we were this big calling him Jesus, but that's not his name. It is. Um, and if you really want to be weird about it, uh, Yeshua is right, except it's actually Yeshua. Like you have to say it differently if you really want to be technical. Like it's so funny how people get, I, I just have a little thing about these people. I've, I've, we've been to Israel and this one lady came and scolded us. Um, an American lady came and scolded us because we were saying the name Jesus instead of Yeshua. Anyway. <laughs> Probably have a pet peeve there. <laughs> but, um, but, but Jesus was a very common name of that day. So who is it? Jesus um, the, the, of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, or was it Jesus Barabbas? You say, well, what does Jesus Barabbas have to do with? Well, you said it's a common name, Pastor Bar- but it's just kind of unique because if you put it all together, you've got Barabbas, son of the father, but his first name is um, Yahushua or Joshua is the way in the Old Testament we say it. Um, same name, Jesus. As common as Bill or Bob here in America, that's the name Jesus. But it's funny, this dude who murdered some people and was an insurrectionist, his name fully means Jehovah is salvation, son of the father. Like that's that's quite a, what an irony. Is that a bit ironic that you've got Jehovah, son of the father, the criminal, and you've got Jehovah truly the son of the father, the real one standing right there. Is that just a, What a coincidence, you got two Jehovah's Son of the Fathers. One's the real one, one's one's a sinner. Um, Why is that? I I don't believe that's just a coincidence. I think the Lord actually orchestrated these things. I wonder if the Lord wants us to compare the two somehow. When I see those things juxtaposition, it makes me kind of wonder, are we supposed to see something? Maybe, maybe not, but I would just say, um, you know, one caused death by insurrection. One would give life through resurrection one, you know, Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas wanted to set up his kingdom against the Roman Empire and raise up the Jewish kingdom, leading an insurrection against Rome. But Jesus came to set up his kingdom, but not of this world. Um, remember, Jesus, his kingdom would be a kingdom of, of spirit until he comes in the second coming. Romans 14, 17, remember? Um, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but what? Anybody remember? righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Like Jesus was setting up a a different kind of kingdom. Um, Barabbas used insurrection, Jesus used resurrection. There's just, but, but here's the thing, Jesus was perfectly innocent, and Barabbas was completely guilty. But because Jesus would go and die on the cross instead of Barabbas, guess who gets to live? We get to live. You see, when I see this, I kind of think I'm the Barabbas here in the story. I'm the one who is the sinner who deserves death, but because Jesus went and took my place. Like I start to see the substitution picture right here with the story of Barabbas. Um, This is just how deep the Bible is and we could just go on and on. But um, you know, uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, is something, by the way, the kingdom of heaven is not gonna be some man. Don't make the same mistake of Barabbas. We're not gonna be the ones to bring in the kingdom. Jesus is gonna bring his kingdom. It's gonna happen on his term and on his timing, not ours. That's a mistake some people make. We think, they think we're gonna bring in the kingdom. I think that's a big goof. Remember the stone that we talked about from Daniel 2 that was cut without hands and it came and crushed the kingdoms? Um, that's, that's the way it's gonna work. It's not people making the kingdom come. Um, we're, we're told to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, that's gonna be the Lord doing that. Well, we keep reading here um, so, so you got, you know, this, this interesting guy, Jesus, son of the father Barabbas, and the people are saying, let him go. So now Pilate's trying to bargain. Hey, I'll let Jesus go. And they said, no, take him and, and set Barabbas free. Well, it goes on here in verse 20. And Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. He he makes another run at this. I'll whip him and then we'll let him go. Verse 23, and they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed. Um, What are the voices Pilate's hearing He's hearing the voice of the crowd yelling crucify him, but he's also hearing the voice of his conscience, his knower, um, the part that God built into him that says, this guy did nothing wrong. This, this guy is, should be set free. That's the, the, the voice of his, what God gave him, but he's also got the voices of the crowd. Um, eventually you're gonna give in to one of those two voices, the voice that God has given you versus the voice of the crowd and the multitude that's yelling and screaming in your face. Um, I've, I've found that people often know what to do. Have you ever noticed that? People often know what they do. You know, I've done years and years of counseling, meeting with people, our team here. Uh, we've got great men and women who counsel. And, uh, but one of the things we always see, I, I'm gonna say, go out on a huge limb and say, somewhere around 95% of the people come and say, Pastor what should I do? And, and they already know what to do. They even, as they're telling me, you know, I, I kind of feel like I should do this and this. And this but... And, and then they tell me what they really want to do, even though they know they shouldn't. Um, and it gets, it gets almost like, if it wasn't so tragic, it's almost hilarious. Uh, Brett, what should I do? I, I, um, you know, my wife, uh, I know the Bible says you're not supposed to divorce, and, and the Bible says this, but she's a nag, man. She just nags at me all the time. Um, and, and, and so what should I do, Pastor Brett? Now, now, he just answered his own question. The Bible says God hates divorce. And the Bible says that you're not supposed to, like divorce is like uh, something God is not into. Um, but he's coming to old Pastor Brett hoping that I'll give him some biblical loophole. <laughs> so, oh, you oh, like, like every now and then I almost wanna joke around and say, oh man, I'll tell you what, I think you should just dump her, you know, get rid of her. You know, yeah, you're right. She's a nag, she deserves divorce. Like, like it's such a ridiculous thing. I almost wanna like be, do the devil's advocate thing and say, are you, and then, and then stop. And then I was like, are you kidding me? You know, like this, this is how crazy it is. Brett, you know, I, 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 I really know I probably shouldn't marry this guy, um, but I love him and he's hot. <laughs> is he a Christian? Oh, he's a Muslim, but, but that's okay. Um, I think he's gonna come to Christ at some point and, and it's gonna be awesome. You know, well, you know, I know the Bible says you're not supposed to be unequally oaked with unbelievers, but I'm missionary dating right now, Pastor Brett. You think this is all a good idea? Um, the answer is no, don't do that. But people come in and they, they almost want to hear from me some loophole. Oh, well, in this case, you know, um, don't do that. That's the problem. The double-minded man unstable in all his way is tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. What are the wind and the waves? The voices of all the people yelling in your face saying, go ahead, marry him. Go ahead, divorce her. Go ahead. You deserve to be freed from that horrible marriage. Like, like it's amazing how the, the, the crowd, the multitude is wrong a lot of the time. So, um, you know, that's the problem. And sometimes being a Bible-believing Christian, you're gonna feel that you're gonna have to go against the crowd. It's been rightly said, any dead fish can go with the flow. But I believe the Lord has called us to swim upstream sometimes. In fact, sometimes the right direction is swimming against what's current. And I wonder how many of the things that we know that are popular on Instagram right now, people are doing thinking, well, everybody's doing it, when really it goes totally contrary to what God wants us to do. The voices of the crowd are not what you wanna follow. Can I just give you that word? Um, I've noticed the more you are blown by the wind and the waves tossed to and fro, you end up kind of in insanity. We'll see Pontius Pilate in that in a second. I love the old, I think it's an old Chinese story proverb. Um, The story goes something like there's a little boy and his father walking down the path and they've got their donkey with a little rope, you know, and they're walking along. Well, somebody comes and says, you guys, what ridiculous, you have a donkey, why not use it? You know, you guys should ride the donkey and save your energy. And the father said, okay. And so they both hop on the donkey. And the father and son cloppity clop going off. Well, <clears throat> they come up to another guy. You guys, this is horrible. You're The poor donkey, like you've overloaded the donkey. And the father's like, oh, okay. So father gets off, and the boy stays on. And so they go down the trail, the boy on the donkey, the father leading. And then another person comes up. Man, you guys, this little brat, here's the young guy. He's got good legs and the old father's there walking, doing all the work. <clears throat> what do you think, you know? And the little boy's like, oh, he jumps off and the father gets off. And, um, and you know, the story just keeps going when you finally see the end of the story <clears throat> where the little boy and the father are carrying the donkey down the path. <laughs> um, you know, that's what public opinion will get you. That's what the voices, the wind and the waves that make you a double-minded, unstable person in all your ways That's who Pontius Pilate is. He's listening to the voices, even though the voice God's given him, this man's done nothing wrong. Um, I see a huge lesson in here for you and me. So this Pilate trying to bargain with the people is gonna fail. Um, He ends up making uh, the mistake. Um, And so uh, verse 24, we see now Pilate yielding. That's the fourth and final thing here, Pilate yielding. It says, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon Simon the Cyrenian coming out of the country. Um, On him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. We know from the other gospel stories that Jesus carried the cross to a point, but then they tapped Simon the Cyrene, uh, Cyrenian, to carry it the rest of the way and says, We'll pick this story up in our next time together on a Wednesday night, uh, how this all goes. But now Jesus is going to the cross, Barabbas is let go, and Pontius Pilate makes his doomed decision. Uh, Now, Pilate, you know, trying to escape making a decision, but he can't. Careful analysis of this story. I would ask this question, who's really on trial? Was Jesus on trial? Well, you and I know Jesus was willingly going there for purposes that nobody really got. He was gonna go die on the cross, willingly, purposefully for the sins of the world. So we know this story kind of had to happen the way it did. Um, but, but at the same time, when I look at the story, I see that Pontius Pilate is the one actually on trial and Jesus is the judge. Jesus is not trying to escape. Jesus is not making an argument for himself. But Jesus is just sitting there watching Pilate and Pilate is there on trial. What is he gonna do about Jesus? Um, you know, what happened to Pilate? Uh, there is what happens to every person on the planet. You have the same question. Every single one of us has asked, a- answer this question. What do you do with Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? You're on trial in that sense. What are you gonna do about Jesus? And you know, there's a part of you, I think, even if you're a, a ardent atheist or agnostic, Um, Whether you want to admit it or not, I think there's a part of you that says, I think that Jesus did no no thing wrong and he came to die on the cross for for the sins of the world. But then there's the the voices of your college professors and of your own cynicism that are saying, oh, that's not true, I'm not gonna believe that. And you're tossed around not knowing or, or wondering, even though in your heart of hearts. You know, the Bible even says, Romans chapter one, even creation declares his glory. So even if you're, the Bible says, even if you're an atheist, You are without excuse because there's a part of you, I call it your knower, it's your conscience, it's a part of you that God built into you that knows and and understands that God is real and that the son Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of your your own sins. But Pilate made the poor choice, at least at this moment. Whatever happened to old Pontius Pilate? Uh, As it turns out, we don't know for sure. But there's actually two very interesting stories that uh, have resonated throughout history about Pontius Pilate. Um, And I'll tell you what they are. They're two totally different scenarios, but they're written up by ancient historians. Story number one, most popular one, and the oldest story from several sources is that that Pontius Pilate um, was later, in fact, uh, he was brought back. The the Romans uh, realized Pontius Pilate was dropping the ball down in in the Judean area, and they recalled him back to Rome because he was in trouble which would make sense when you kind of see what, you know, the whole Jesus incident wasn't didn't turn out great for the Romans. Um, the, isn't it interesting the decline and fall of the Roman Empire was because of Jesus, King of the Jews? Like, if you know your history, that's where the Roman Empire would start to fall. But... But uh, all that to say, they, they recalled Pontius Pilate. In fact, the story is told by um, the ancient historian Eusebius that one of the disciples—we don't know which one—this is extra biblical literature. One of the disciples went back to visit Pilate in exile and found out more what happened. And while he was talking with him, the disciple realized Pontius Pilate had lost his mind and went crazy, and there was um, sort of um, uh, exiled to a place called Gaul and where he eventually committed suicide. That's the story from Eusebius and some others. Um, story number two is a little, it's not as old, but it's still really old. It comes from a guy named, does anyone know who Tertullian is? Tertullian wrote uh, in the second century. So this is just a hundred years after the other guy, um, but it's still almost you know, 1800 years ago. Tertullian uh, writes uh, and talks about uh, something that, uh, along with other writings, there's, there's a scroll they found called the Acts of Pilate, which is kind of interesting, but it tells that Pontius Pilate's wife, Claudia Procula, um, uh, and if you remember in the Gospel of Matthew that his wife had a dream, Um, but this story says that she became a believer and shortly thereafter Pontius Pilate became a believer and there's actually writings how they actually started to intermingle with the early church and became Christians in the church. Um, Which story do you think is true? The answer, I have no idea. I almost wonder if God did that on purpose in history. We don't know. Was he? Did he go crazy and go hang himself in Gaul because he was exiled because of his poor leadership? <clears throat> or did he uh, become a believer and accept Christ? Um, which one is true? I kind of hope the second one's true. Wouldn't it be something we all get to heaven and we're like, who's that dude over there? Oh, that's Pontius Pilate. He's in heaven. Uh, that, you say, Brett, how could he do that? How could Pontius Pilate be in heaven? He, he sent Jesus to his death. The answer is simple on that. You and I all sent Jesus to his death. We're all guilty of sin, sending Jesus to the crucifixion. Um, But good news, if if Pontius Pilate repented of his sins and went back to that notion that he had in his heart that Jesus had done nothing wrong, and he says, I repent of that sin, and if if he confessed that and and believed in Jesus, he's saved as much as you or me. See, it gives me great hope to realize if Pontius Pilate can be saved, which he could be, um, then there's hope for you and me as well. So the question remains, what are you gonna do about Jesus Christ? Are you gonna believe and accept? And many of you have. If you've done that, if you've already, you are repented of your sins and accepted Jesus, you're like most of us, you, you, you have zero regrets. The best decision I've ever made was to decisively say, um, forget the world, I'm gonna just go with what Jesus said. And, and, and I'm gonna not listen to the voices of everybody else. I'm gonna go with what I know to be true. And I've never once regretted that in my life. I would challenge you to be decisive. Don't be the double-minded man or woman, unstable, but make that choice and and, and accept and believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. If you would, Christians be in prayer. And uh, I just wanna invite maybe, if, if there might be a few people here today who've never accepted Jesus and you've not made that decision, I'd like to give you an opportunity to decisively say, I'm gonna choose to accept Jesus and be saved, be a Christian. Um, it's so simple because Jesus did all the hard work. He died on the cross for your sins. And if you'd like to accept Christ, I'd like to pray a prayer of confession. That, that confession comes, you know, when, when Jesus you know, died on the cross for the sins of the world, you know, he, he, he would say, there's a, there's a narrow gate, enter in to the narrow way, not the broad way, which leads to destruction, um, but go to the narrow way, which leads to life. And he says, few there be that find it. I hope you're one who says, I'm gonna find that narrow gate. That narrow gate is to just simply say, I accept Jesus. Romans 10, nine, if you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that, that um, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's, that's that confession we can make right here, right now. And if you'd like to do that, I'm not gonna you know, make you get up out of your chair or make you sign up for a membership of a church. If you accept Jesus Christ, you are a member of the church of Jesus Christ. Um, that's, that's a decision you can make right now, right where you sit. But if that's you, just between you, me and the Lord, with everybody else praying, um, would you acknowledge that and say, Brett, I wanna do that. I wanna, I wanna choose Jesus Christ and be a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus and accept his work and my, the forgiveness of my sin. Uh, if that's you, would you just acknowledge that by looking up at me and raising your hand or kind of give me a wave so I can acknowledge you. And I'll just, I'll just look, I'll just acknowledge you before, before we pack it up. Good, you guys there, cool, good, good. Let me just keep looking around, don't wanna miss anybody. Awesome. Good. Anybody else over here? Cool. Back here. Good. I see you guys. Awesome. Okay. Back in the back. Awesome. Good. Anybody else? Great. I'm going to say this prayer of confession. I'm going to ask the whole church to... to uh, pray this out. We, we as Christians love to pray this with you because um, it's changed our lives and we, we're excited for you because this will change your life. It doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means you're going to be perfectly forgiven for all your sins and you have the hope of heaven. Not just an empty hope, but a real absolute expectation of heaven. That's what, that's what Jesus gives us. So let's pray together. Let's pray this out loud together. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. That he died on the cross for my sins. That he rose up from the grave. And that all my sins are forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Um, Lord, I pray blessing on these people who've just accepted you. And I pray that you wrap your loving arms around them, that they'd know their sins are forgiven. And as we go our way, Lord, I pray that we'd not be double-minded, not only in issues of salvation, but in all the issues, Lord, may we be decidedly following your word and, and following the truth. Bless these, your people, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.